But at some point, I remember just looking looking down on the floor and seeing a stack stack of these sheets and um, the the translucency degrading as the layer got thicker as the stack piled up. Just thinking that was amazing. I like I loved at that point. I hadn't really seen my marks, uh, you know, stacked up in that way. And I think that was hugely inspiring. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 139th episode, Cody Hoyt joined me from Brooklyn, and we talk all about his upcoming show, which features a variety of different ceramic and sculptural slash print-inspired pieces. So we talk all about that on this program. So stay tuned for that interview. I do want to remind listeners that the Studio Break 2015 competition is now open. Our juror this year is Julia Friedman of Exchange Works. So you can check out more information on the Studio Break homepage. Again, the competition is open to all undergraduate and graduate students and professional artists of all kinds. So if you're interested in applying and want more information, check it out on Studio Break. Once again, nine total artists will be featured on Studio Break, and we will be giving out three solo exhibitions to some lucky artists, so we're very excited about that. Of course, to new listeners, we want to let you know Studio Break is a blog and podcast site. We feature a variety of different artists. I interview them about their studio practice, and I share them on Studio Break. Again, each of the featured artists have images of their work links to their websites, and these lengthy interviews exploring studio practice. You can listen in the default player, or you can go to the iTunes store and subscribe to the podcast. You can also check out our archive right on the left sidebar. Just go month by month, check out all the podcasts that you might have missed. If you are interested, we can be found on Facebook, so please like our page there. You can follow our Tumblr account, that's studio-break.tumblr, and... You can tweet us at Studio Break, so please do that. Without further ado, here is Cody Hoyt. Stay tuned. Welcome, Cody Hoyt. How are you this morning? Good, man. How are you? Good, good. Again, we've been chatting a bit, and uh, it'll be exciting to uh, find out all about you. So thanks for taking the time. Um, again, we, we talked about this earlier. You are currently in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Artist. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Awesome, awesome. And um, as you might have figured from your wonderful questionnaire, uh, we delve into every little aspect about you. So I always like to start out at the beginning and, and you know, find out a little bit more uh, in background. So uh, could you tell me just uh, where you're from and, and where you grew up and we can kind of work from there? Yeah, I'm from Florida. I grew up there in a town called Sarasota, which is on the Gulf Coast, sort of midway down the, uh, the part that sticks out. I don't know what kind of things were you interested in when you were younger. Were you were you always into art, or did you have other things uh, going on? Or I was always an art guy. I didn't have I didn't have much else going on. Um, I spent a lot of time as a latchkey kid, so uh, I was basically home after school. My mom was still at work for a few hours, so I would basically just dump out a box of Legos or get out a huge sheet of paper and just go at it and make stuff until. It's time to eat dinner and do homework and all that stuff. And and when did you stop uh, following the uh, the guidelines for Legos and start building, you know, all sorts of random stuff? I never made what I that wasn't even worth the time. Like it was the, just the pieces were so cool. It was what, even like two pieces stuck together to me were way cooler than this 
I liked the sci-fi Legos. Um, I immediately went for like, like moon bases or, you know, spaceships or whatever. I wasn't really into boats or race cars, but, um, I liked having a variety of weird pieces. So yeah, I would make a, I would make a weird thing and then just hang on to it for like a week. And that would be my toy for the week. I was going to say, I know that you were expecting to be having pointed conversations about Lego pieces and, and whatnot, but um, well, it's just interesting. I mean, I just remember having like a gigantic bin at some point, and you're just kind of like... Nothing else feels like dumping out a, a, like a bin of Legos and just raking your arm across it, you know, spreading those Legos out and getting them all sort of like, you know, thinning, the, thinning out the pile so you can see what you got. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that could be a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> um and so, uh, did you, did you draw a lot? Did you do other things? Yeah, I, I definitely, I drew a lot. I, I think it was a lot of weird monsters, um, Star Wars guys, uh, you know, like action, action dudes. I think that I would go on these like trips to the grocery store with my mom or my dad. And <clears throat> at least, uh, this is in the eighties. There was um, like a mini video store in the, in the grocery store. So maybe to kill time, I would go like wander around and look at VHS cassettes uh, while somebody was shopping. And we never rented them um, because a lot of the ones that I would pick up were rated R. They were horror movies, um, weird action, sci-fi movies. And I would look at the boxes and it would just like take me to a different place. It was, it was like, I had no idea what could possibly be like, you know, in this movie. And ultimately, you know, it's a totally cliche, but what you imagine the movie being about when you're a kid is always way more interesting than it actually is if you were to watch it as an adult. So I would, I would look at these tiny pictures on the backs of these HS boxes and then just go home and, and tr- draw, you know, be inspired by these things like the guys from Hellraiser. <laughs> well, it's an interesting experience because I think it's like going to a video store and kind of like physically picking something up and kind of like looking at all these pictures. I kind of remember having a similar experience. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I hope, I hope you did. <laughs> well, I mean, just, you know, I, just kind of like, Oh, can we please rent this? And it turns out to be an awful movie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like it's rated R's so and you're eight. So they're like, no, you can't watch. <laughs> Sorry. You, you can't, you're not watching Hellraiser tonight. You're eating ravioli and, watching disney or something so well it just makes me think too like and maybe it's just like through nostalgia glasses but i'm like looking back and thinking about like man the the covers for movies in the 80s must have been just way more crazier than they are you know now or something i don't know like now that now that i think they would look surrealistic like like then it just seemed like i'm just wondering it probably looks so like scuzzy i don't know well, I think those, yeah, that, I mean, that art had to, had to carry the movie a lot of the way. Now there's so much supplementary technology that will, will persuade people to watch something. But up to a certain point of time, it was basically what was on the poster. What did the box look like? You know, the teaser trailer. And so were there other kind of, I mean, were you like a comic nerd or, I mean, anything else like that? Other, other sources of inspirations or just like Harry and Henderson's and yeah, <laughs> I've actually never seen Harry and Henderson's. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had like a comic phase and like I collected trading cards. Um, but it wasn't, I, I didn't really like collect comics. I just would go to the store and buy whichever one looked the coolest. So I have, I saved them all. Like I still have this super random assortment of, of weird comic books and then trading cards. Like I have just a weird assortment of trading cards, um, to Terminator two trading <laughs> cards and like a whole crap load of Simpsons trading cards. And so, I don't know, was it, was it something that, that you kind of knew you wanted to do? I mean, like, I mean, did you take courses in grade school and all, all that kind of stuff? 
like I don't have an artistic family there. I have a very creative family, but I don't have any, no one's a professional artist. Um, like my dad's a music guy. My mom's into like interior design and she's like Wonder. very spiritual Sorry. lady. Nobody has, no one's like making art in my family. Uh, but yeah, I was always sort of like persuaded and corralled into, well, into art making. I, maybe because I just expressed interest in it as a child. So I was sort of, um, you know, like, herded in that direction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they were kind of supportive at least, you know, totally super supportive. The most, yeah, I was given like, um, acrylic paints and canvas and when I was, I think like seven or something. Did you take art in high school and, and things like that? Well, I, I mean, I, I definitely tried to, to get in, to take, I tried to spend as much time making art as I possibly could, not, not consciously, but basically as a way to, um, just make, my, you know, my, my living experience more pleasurable. Um, I was really bad at subjects that I didn't find actively engaging, like, um, math and history, things that involved a lot of memorization. I just did miserably. in. Mm -hmm. so if I could instead spend time in an art room, um, or, you know, building something that I would definitely like try to do that instead. And did you, did you have a lot of different stuff? Cause I mean, again, like in terms of just like w what you're looking at now, I always wonder like, you know, when people get to start, you know, working with things like clay or printmaking or, you know, painting or, you know, things like that, especially. I seem to remember, like, formatively, uh, even through high school, it's, it's at least in Florida, the curriculum, um, not that there was any sort of um, regimented, like, uh, you know, art class curriculum in Florida, but I seem to remember them just giving you stuff and telling you to make stuff with it. It's really random and diverse, like you know, charcoal, pencils, clay, gluing stuff together. It's, you know, totally random. There was no consistent arc to the art I was making until I was in undergrad. And you, did you know in high school that you were like, this is something that I can do for a living? Or I, I didn't know I could do it. I kind of just assumed I could do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I knew there was, you know, I knew graphic design was a profession that sounded cool. Um, right, right. So freelance graphic design just sounded like the coolest thing you could possibly do you draw for a living and you don't have a boss what could possibly be better so if i could get a job doing that then that's what i want to do and so is that what you kind of like started college then in pursuit of you were going to be a graphic designer or did you kind of not really know what kind of artist you wanted to be no i i didn't i mean when i graduated high school i wasn't i still wasn't really sure what i wanted to do um we took you, you know how when you take your yearbook photos they you have to write like what your career is going to be mm-hmm I, I think I wrote as a joke bagel enthusiast because I really had like no, I just had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I mean, I was a creative dude. Like at this point, this point in time when I graduated high school, I was actively engaged. Like I was playing music. I was in, I was in bands. I was into records. I was drawing posters. I was doing all of this stuff, but I didn't really know what I was going to do with it, I guess. And then I, as a result, I ended up going to a local community college for about two years did miserable in that too. Cause I didn't try. Um, and then it wasn't until I think maybe, maybe four years after I graduated high school, did I actually enroll in an undergrad program? And by that point I had grown up enough where I could totally commit myself and I had more of a clarity of vision. And, um, and f basically from that point on, it was more about making, you know, art dreams a reality. Um, what was that experience like kind of being out of school? I mean, did you just, you know, kind of do you know the things that you're interested in and then and then just kind of work and you know 
eventually like it like something hit where you're just like man i want to like want to do something more so the town i was living in in florida was it's um pretty progressive pretty arty community but it's it's still it's still a small town in florida and it was totally isolated from i know i couldn't get on a train and go to manhattan you know and and get there in a half hour I, i was if anything i would some friends and i would get into a car and drive 12 hours to go to some sh- a whole bunch of bands we like were playing. So um, we were, we felt pretty isolated and cut off. Um, and this is like, you know, late nineties. So internet, like AOL internet culture was kind of just getting fired up. So we had a link to the outside world, but I still felt totally isolated. So getting out of Florida was always, it seemed like, you know, the, the top priority on everyone's list. As far as I was concerned, it was on the top of my list. Maybe you just kind of get comfortable with where you're at after a while that the only other alternative is like, I got to get out, here, get out of here and, and do something. I don't know. I think it's healthy. I think it's, I think it's totally healthy. It's, you know, sometimes you don't need to, sometimes everything you, you want is right there. But at least uh, at the time I, I, you know, I, I wanted to, I knew there was more and it was important to go do more. Sure, sure. And so, how did how did you? So you started taking uh, college or community college courses, and then you took time off, and then you came back. Where did you wind up going? And I think I finally just realized, like, this is you can't just keep doing this. This is this is lame. And some friends of mine, I think, were going to go. I think they were just going to go spend a few months in Boston. Um, they knew people there, and uh, you know, there was music and there was stuff. There was culture there, different culture. So. I don't remember the specifics, but I feel like I probably just quit my job and then like literally just hitched a ride with some friends. And I was living rent free in a subletted room. Uh, and once I got a taste of something, something out like outside, like bigger than Florida, then I was hooked. And, um, eventually I think like within, I don't know, maybe within six months I had completely relocated to Boston with other friends moved, moved there for good. And what was the culture shock? Like, I mean, Again, I would imagine it's got to be entirely different just because uh, there's no there's no cold in Florida, maybe, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 there's no there's there's a little bit of cold, but it's nothing like I moved to Boston in the winter of uh, the year 2000. So I, I moved there like in December in, in kind of the middle of the shit. So good gosh. But as far as culture shock goes, there was just like a lot of really cool people in a really small small area people looked cool they were into cool stuff there were record stores it was kind of overwhelming at first and so was there like a, like a local scene too in terms of bands and like you know like that that kind of creativity kind of side of things uh yeah abs- absolutely definitely huge huge um fertile music scene in boston and i don't know what so what led you to kind of deciding like i'm going to go back to you know being i want to be an artist you know or like i want to go go to school and see if i want to do this or whatnot I think I, I I must have spent maybe about two years in Boston just working full time, like working really hard. But also, um, I was making I was making songs like on on a computer, like you and I were talking about weird like um, idiosyncratic technology before. Like mm-hmm. you know, you've got this certain way you do things. You don't know if it's the best way, but it's the way that you figured out how to do it, and it works for you. Mm-hmm. I was making music that way. I was I had some sort of like. I had to mixer into a stereo, into a laptop, and then I had like a quarter inch input that I could plug into anything that had, you know, like a plug on it that I could sample songs from. So I was basically building these like collages and music, and I was actively like hoarding records. Um, so it seemed for a while that music was like 
a pretty obvious career path. And then I, I, I don't know, I don't remember what exactly was the defining moment, but, um, I think maybe just having friends that were going to mass mass art, mass college of art. I think, I feel like maybe I just needed to get to, to, to do it again. Like I just needed to make art again. I was never, I was never done making art. It just, I feel like maybe for a while I, I couldn't do it because I didn't have, I was a bit transient for a minute and, you know, I never really had, I hadn't had a studio or anything obviously. So, you know, I don't remember what the deciding factor was. I think it was maybe like a figure your life out, like do a thing. Don't just like be a dude. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> playing guitar and drinking beer, like do a thing, like get it done and grow up. So essentially whatever happened, you know, I made the choice, enrolled in school. Um, and it was a really easy choice to make because, um, mass art for, if you're a local resident, it's like super cheap and, um, the campus was close by. Yeah. It was like, it was a no brainer essentially. And so were you kind of like stuck in these, you know, intro courses or did you have like any college credit that transferred over when you were at community college or were you stuck in drawing one, drawing <laughs> still lives and just it's funny. I, I did so. My grades were so hideous at community college that when I enrolled at Mass Art as as a grown up, as like a, a twenty two or twenty three year old, I was on academic probation. Um, they accepted me on like a um, probationary period because they, I think they expected me to be a liability. And it was, I guess, a mistake to have those transcripts <laughs> transferred there. But that's essentially the gist of it. Um, and I, it was no problem. Like I did, I did fine. I. I was so excited to be doing something constructive and to have like a, like have a path. Um, and I was, I got, I I said this a lot, like I I was 22 or 23. So I wasn't subjected to missing class because I got drunk the night before, because I was like, you know, suddenly 18 living in a dorm for the first time. Mm -hmm. I had been doing that stuff for a couple of years. So I had a total advantage over a lot of my peers and I was just excited. I, I felt, I just felt old, even though I was, really super young. I just felt like an old guy already. And that helped me out. I, I did really well in school and, at, you know, in undergrad. What were you doing in terms of art making? I mean, did you, did you get into classes that you were excited about or what? Yeah. So there's that, you know, the foundation program where you're, you do like a, a form study class and then you do like a, you know, a color theory class. And even though, you know, even though it, it's sort of, um, it's not every artist's dream to be given a different assignment every week and, you know, fulfill exact specific criteria. It was still fun to be actively engaged in, um, creation again. And it was, it was 2d stuff and it was time-based. I was editing video and I was syncing music to video for the first time, um, as opposed to just creating music. Uh, so editing, you know, images to go along with sounds was like really exciting for me. And then having hands-on, um, experience with, actual technology like computers with scanners and then um being able to, to translate that into into images was uh was really cool so yeah I, I was totally i was into everything um the only thing that i just didn't do well at were the critical studies classes the academics the survey classes i had the same problem that i had in elementary school which is just paying attention sure <laughs> <laughs> so i, I feel like, like i handicap. always have that problem <laughs> it never goes away but so like in terms of like the, the types of things uh, that you're interested in making, I mean, were there, was there anything that kind of started to kind of emerge just like a pattern? Did you I mean, again, I'm curious how like pin, printmaking rather and, um, you know, ceramics kind of eventually combined there. Um, again, I don't know if that came, you know, about through much, you know, like years and years of like variations and stuff like that. But did you did you get to take classes that you, that you hadn't taken like that before? 
I liked, I, I definitely feel like um, there were always classes that put you in awkward positions or to, you know, took you out of your comfort zone, trying different stuff. I still didn't really know what I wanted to do at this point. Um, it wasn't until, and that's the way they, they like, I think feel like they force it on you. you. You're not really supposed to know what you want to do until your, you know, your third and fourth year mm-hmm. in undergrad. And at that, at that point I had chosen printmaking as a major pretty much once I started in the printmaking program, it was, it was all printmaking all the time. And just all kinds of printmaking or like silkscreen and, you know, intaglio and litho and all that stuff or. Yeah, everything. Um, what's cool about the mass art print shop is that it, it was the print shop was in a converted. Uh, I don't know. I think it was like a basketball court or something. And I don't know. I don't know if it was like turn of the century or if it was even later, if it was more like mid century, but it's, it was just one giant room with studios on both ends and then all of the printmaking equipment in the middle. So what's what's what that facilitates is the the mix the mixing of media and the cross pollination of um of process and i was able to basically build images and build ideas and really establish like a studio process based on the facilitation of just ease of um you know application of ideas i could just walk around and just, I mean, printmaking is never, you don't just walk around and make a print. Like it takes hours to do anything in printmaking, but, um, you know, they weren't, a lot of these printmaking, uh, studios have, you know, silk screen is in a different room or a different, you know, it's down a hallway. So you go here and you're making screen prints for a day. You know, you're, you're not able to make a screen print, let it dry and then carry it over and onto the etching press and lay down a layer of intaglio etching on top of it. Um, so that, that was like huge, the, the, just the setup of that print shop. Yeah, I mean, that seems very interesting just because I would imagine there's, a, like you said, cross-pollination. I would imagine a lot of people, you know, are doing, you know, techniques and you start kind of like thinking like, oh, I wonder wonder if that, you know, like this other layer, you know, again, like it seems like printmaking is all about these different layers and, you know, process is huge. But it's interesting to think about how that might be edited, especially like, you know, I'm sure how many how many other um, printmakers were around you taking classes, you know? Well, yeah, well, so the, the class, like the, the majors class was, I think, as low as nine and as high as maybe 14, depending on, um, you know, depending on who was around. But mm-hmm. then there were students taking elective classes that were in the building here and there. So, I mean, luckily the, you know, the different um, disciplines were divided into zones. So if there was a class, if there was a, a, a class in screen printing happening, um, I couldn't go make, I couldn't go work on screen prints. I had to just stay out of their area. So, there's people passing through, but for the most part, it was like pretty isolated, which was also amazing. Just being a, a handful of people in this giant space. And were you like really formal in terms of like the things that you're doing, or you know, like I, I would imagine maybe in the beginning you're kind of like, you know, experimenting in just terms of like doing different kinds of prints, and obviously maybe arriving somewhere else different. But you know, I'm kind of curious what that initial aesthetic might have been, or maybe you know, around that time. I think at this point, maybe the first. Maybe like the junior year of the printmaking program, you're you're taking the foundation classes, so you have like a, I had a, like a class in lithography or a class in photolithography, and then and that's when you take that class for the first time. That's the first time you make prints of any kind. So the the assignments are based around learning the learning the application. So I, I think I, at this point I still hadn't. There's no real trajectory. I hadn't like been obsessed with finding my artistic voice. I was still just sort of wrapped up in um, making each assignment as good as I possibly could and 
just having literally just having fun and making cool stuff. I think a lot of the imagery that I was that I was putting down was still heavily inspired by what I was seeing in uh, in album art. It's mm-hmm. probably still like the the biggest um, inspiration for me at that point. You know, when when do you think you kind of arrived at an aesthetic that you were really interested in and, and kind of investigated for a, a chunk of time? I mean, was that like kind of like a, a senior thesis kind of thing, or? Yeah, I think I don't think I really started making really like idiosyncratic, um, or or like I don't think I really started thinking about my output as as being. Um, I, I didn't really establish. I didn't have any idea that that what they want you to do is pick a thing and then just do it really good and figure out what it is. And that's your, you know, like that's your art at that point, probably until I don't know, maybe it was midpoint in junior year and definitely during senior year. Still, still like a similar theme or. I mean, I feel like maybe a good answer that probably um, you're looking for is uh, working on transparent media is, um, is, was super common in printmaking because a lot of the plates or screens or whatever you're shooting, you need to shine light through to create a plate. So uh, I accumulated all of these Mylar drawings and I would work with um, Sumi ink on Mylar because it gives you a really thick black line that you can then expose and you can get a pretty solid um, plate from it. But also drawing on Mylar is uh, it feels, it just feels excellent. I was using bamboo pens, brushes, fountain pens, um, stuff like that. So just the feeling of ink on, on this Mylar was, it felt incredible. And then it was like, uh, it was no hassle. If you didn't like what you drew, just wash it off. Uh, you weren't blowing through tons of paper. Uh, there wasn't the concern over like wasting, you know how people get to the like white paper dread where here, I've got this big, beautiful piece of drawing paper. I am, I paralyzed. I can't make a mark on it. Right. Um, you know, ink on Mylar wasn't, I never got that. So I was totally smitten with this process of, um, I would just make massive amounts of, of, of drawings on Mylar. And then with the intention, obviously, of, you know, making plates out of them and, and whatever, making a, a print with all these drawings on it. But still also maybe for assignments or something like that. But at some point, I remember just looking looking down on the floor and seeing a stack stack of these sheets and um, the, the translucency degrading as the layer got thicker, as the stack piled up, just thinking that was uh, amazing. I like, I loved, at that point, I hadn't really seen my marks, uh, you know, stacked up in that way. And I think that was hugely inspiring. <clears throat> I was ma- definitely making at this point, a lot of art that was just like Mark, Mark making art. I don't know. I think maybe I had seen like Matthew Ritchie and Julie Maritou paintings and decided that that was, I, you know, I fell in love with those. And then that's probably the other answer you're looking for is I started making once I, once I realized I needed to be more, um, I needed to make art that was about me. I think probably started getting really like mark making art. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, do you know what I mean? That that type of like just expressive. Yeah, completely. I think I also really relate to that idea of just making something that's for your. You know what I mean? Like when you get to that point where you're like, "This is mine." And then again, I, depending on what sort of program you're enrolled in, that could be like I feel like the program I was enrolled in was at least the what like from my point of view was very formal, and we didn't we didn't talk a lot about theory or concept and it was mostly about working out the image what did you wind up doing like after you after you graduated and um did you stay in boston then uh it was pretty obvious that i needed to leave boston as soon as possible but didn't know exactly where i wanted to go and i again with the you know finished high school spent a couple years not knowing what the hell to do same thing happened when i finished um art school i I was done i knew i needed to leave but i didn't have any great idea 
his mind. Um, a, a friend of mine, a studio mate that I had during undergrad, uh, we collaborated on, we basically accumulated artists, accumulated some artwork and published two of these um, sort of collections of artwork. And that was sort of the huge, like a huge project that I was working on during my last year of undergrad was um, like book layout, learning about publishing. And um, it was like a weird tangent, but it seemed just right at the time. Mm -hmm. We basically, around the time that I left mass art in 2007, um, this book, the second book that we made was scheduled to come out. It was, you know, it takes forever to get things shipped to America when you have them printed overseas. But so really, like, I had a huge project that I was right in the middle of. It was perfect. Um, get this book, get it in hand, uh, and then promote it and put it out. And then simultaneously, you know, and my art was in the book, too, and I was listed as a curator and a publisher. So I had this amazing golden ticket into the world of people doing stuff and doing things. But what ended up happening is uh, I moved to Los Angeles kind of on a whim because there was it seemed like there was nowhere else better to go at the time. Um I got a job because I had to, and I had a studio in my house. Like I had a room to make art in, which I did. The book showed up. I had thousands of these books in my house, and then me and the other guy who had to Santa Fe. Um, I feel like maybe I maybe I sent shipped him, you know, his half of the books or something like that. But our job at that point was just to promote the heck out of this book. And neither one of us we spent time doing it. Like definitely worked on it, but it wasn't a huge priority. We made this thing. We thought. Since we made this, it was going to be good to go. People were going to, you know, it was going to sell out. We had amazing artists in it. But um, that was a huge lesson I learned at that point was you have to promote the heck out of everything you do. Otherwise, no one's going to care. Um, yeah, I just I was working full time. I was sort of working on this book project, shipping them out, promoting it a little bit. Um, I was getting invited to do group shows just based on name recognition with the book project. And uh, I was just making art pretty much any during any of my free time while working full time, which is mostly you know, nights and weekends living in LA. Is this mostly like still like a, like print work and collage and drawing and painting and things like well, that? Or that thing happened where all of a sudden I had, I had a, like I had a kitchen and a table and some shelves. So, and I had been working on paper luckily for, you know, two years previously. So, so working on paper seemed like a really reasonable thing to keep doing because I'm not storing canvases. I don't have to, uh, acquire you know building material it's paper it's thin it stacks up it can be thrown in the trash if it's not good uh and i was comfortable with it and it seemed that's what i wanted to do so that was like that was perfect for me also coincidentally i was i found work at a print company in los angeles so i was actually i was still making prints but it was at work not at home what was the culture like there in terms of just like other other things that you became involved with? I mean, you've talked about like kind of like, you know, some of these group exhibitions, obviously you're meeting people. And I mean, was it just like a totally different vibe there, too, in terms of, again, you kind of lived in <laughs> a lot of different places so far? Yeah, it was it was again, it was pretty isolating. Um, people, I don't know if unless you spend any time in Los Angeles, you don't realize how isolating it can be. Uh, you drive, you know, every most people drive everywhere. So they leave their house, they get in their car, they go to work, get back in the car, go back to the house. Uh, you don't really run into people that you're not scheduled to run into throughout the day. Uh, it's the opposite of New York where you leave the house, you're gone for the whole day, you take like a bag with you, and then you could see any number of your friends. You can meet somebody for 20 minutes. You could, you know, you could do whatever. You just don't, sometimes you don't know, sometimes um, you do. But in LA, it's like your day is pretty regimented. Uh, traffic's a huge bummer, so most people spend their day trying to figure out 
how to avoid being on the road at certain times. So it seems like a lot of people living in LA have their, their daily routine kind of uh, distilled down to like little momentary uh, intervals. And that's what it was like for me. And I was living with a girlfriend at the time. So I kind of had this like domestic, like I'd work during the day and then I would um, and, uh, you know, spend family time at home and then make work on the weekends or whenever there was time to, which slows things down. It puts it, you know, it draws it like elongates the timeline. And that's what LA does too. It just slows things down. There's the seasons are way less dramatic. Um, the weather's super nice. Things change so slowly. It's hard to really gauge the passing of time. So there's not that inherent nice for motivation sort of pushing you forward, reminding you that, you know, it's winter again and you haven't done anything this year. How long were you out there? I mean, were you out there for a really long time or? It was just less than four years, I think. Yeah. I would imagine like, like some opportunities will lead you here and there. Um, was there something that led you to move again or? I could tell that it wasn't, I, I could just tell that it was time. I, I, I really like it out there. I think it was really cool, but it wasn't doing anything for me. A lot of my friends from Florida and definitely specifically from Boston, ended up in Brooklyn or New York or whatever. So, and I, I just, it just seemed like a bit much. Like I just don't, I just can't, you know, like after, after grad school or sorry, after undergrad, a lot of people just picked up and moved right to New York. And I just couldn't, it just seemed so like tiring, so much money and just so stressful. So I just couldn't do it. But at this point, uh, it's 2000. I feel like it was 2010 I was living in LA for four years, almost. Um, and needed to leave all right, I can do New York. All right, whatever. Let's try. It's I need to do it. So it's time. And I wanted to live here before I like, you know, got too old to do anything. So, and I still fancied maybe living in another city somewhere else. So yeah, it was time just needed to like get it done. And there wasn't, but there wasn't anything else like anything else in terms of like an opportunity. I mean, did you have a job in line or anything else like that? Gosh, nope. yeah, I think <laughs> I think there must be like again. I know that there's always uh, two different kinds of people in the world, but there's definitely um, <laughs> two different kinds of people. That there are some people that'll just go, "Let's do it," and then some people that are like, "Oh no," you know. Um, so again, that's really interesting <laughs> to me because, like, I I don't know. I've maybe had some of those moments, but they've all there's always been something. Um, is that is that something that's also kind of like um, forces you to kind of like deal with it then too in terms of like when you did move like you're you know hitting the ground running and like i got to figure out how the hell i'm gonna pay rent here i took for granted how easy it is to save money when you're working full-time and i feel like i didn't i was kind of in a position while i was living in la to, to just accumulate tons of money and i didn't do it and i felt stressed about paying bills even though i had i didn't have like a well okay i didn't have an amazing job i had a well-paying job i was working in a print shop uh but I, 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 you know, I managed to squirrel away like maybe $2,000 or something that would aid me, you know, pay for the move and get me a first and maybe last month's rent or something in, in New York if I was lucky. So I was paranoid about money. I've, you know, I was always grew up paranoid about money. So it was something that I, I was, it just drilled into me. So I was totally like apprehensive about that, but not apprehensive enough to like become complacent and stay where I was. And I, I felt comfortable enough with the idea that I could either like, if I had to, I could stay with friends. If I had to, I could just move back to Florida. Like, you know, whatever worst case scenario, I'd move back to Florida. Um, and I always knew that, like, at this point, like the, you know, the risk, the recession hadn't hit. It was still, um, I don't know, I guess it, yeah, I guess it had. Um, yeah, I was, you know what, come to think of it, I was really paranoid about getting work. I remember spending 
spending time late at night making long lists of things that I could do to, uh, I also was contemplating grad school, which it's funny, like thinking about not having money to to pay rent and then considering trying to get into Columbia and right (laughs) to like totally different, uh, two, two, two different ideas, but, but yeah, so I, I was like, you know, it wasn't enough to just make me stay doing what I was doing in LA. All right, so you move back to New York. You don't have a lot of money. What do you wind up doing to pay the rent? And then, you know, what does your work look like at this point? I was lucky because I had friends that had been living here already. So they were, some of them were working as preparators in galleries. Um, some of them were just movers. Uh, people were just doing different stuff. People, that's what's cool about New York is people just do weird random stuff and make really comfortable livings um, doing it. So I was I was lucky in that I could... Uh, I could start freelancing almost right away. So, uh, the couple of my friends that were preparators invited me to come, you know, help them install shows, which is, you know, only happens, it happens on a cycle. So once a month, there's a lot of work and then there's no work for the rest of the month. But oddly enough, I was uh, working as a mover for a little while, which is really just not fun at all, but it, you know, pays in cash. And, um, there was just different odd, you know, odd jobs basically. I was I didn't have to get a full time job, which is pretty much the last thing I wanted to do. You found a place to work, or yeah. So I had a friend who the same guy I made the book project with. I think had moved to Brooklyn from Santa Fe for about a, maybe like a year before I showed up in New York. And while I was planning my move out to the East Coast, he was looking for studio spaces, and he found an amazing one that we still share now. And so I'm still in the same studio. Um, so I was able to I think within a few months of moving here afford rent and a studio. And uh, start making work, basically, you know, move in. And I brought a lot of, I had like a lot of art supplies that I, that I sort of acquired while working in a, at an art job, which I th- hopefully a lot of artists do because it's awesome. And what were you making with uh, said art supplies? Yeah, I was in the studio making making these sort of abstract drawings about like space and information and like you know objects and um, having a blast just just drawing just these you know weird weird drawings compositions but then i got stagnated with that like i i think i feel like i just kind of um hit a point where i was sitting there looking at it thinking like what like what, am i just gonna keep doing this like what do i need to what do i need to do i need to reevaluate i need to push this forward in some way i need to get out of comfort zone change it up and um you know, picking up a new material is one way to do that. So, um, I, I knew that I wanted to make more sculptural work. I felt like making sculptural work was a good way to get out of the funk that I was in. So I was like doing it the easy way. I was like, uh, you know, casting concrete objects, drawing shapes, pulling shapes out of the drawings and then trying to make like a, you know, a physical version of it. And then, um, around the same time I was, decided to take ceramics recreationally as just as a way to something to do. I thought maybe like putting tiles on some work would be a smart thing to do. I was drawing some of the work had basically flattened out into pattern, this work on paper I was making. So I thought a clever thing to do would be to, instead of just drawing everything, make, make some of it out of something else. So tiles, you make this pattern out of tile and then paint expressively on top of it. I had a lot of good ideas uh, or the ideas I thought were good. So I got, 
really into the idea of making tile. And then like the search for a ceramics studio in New York where I could make these tiles became a priority. Um, and I didn't have any luck doing it. And then a roommate of mine who's a painter and who had made ceramics in college was like, come make ceramics with me. I'm going to, you know, we're going to go throw pots, uh, whatever. It's fun. Drink beer. So I enrolled and within like, I don't know if it was a weeks or like a month, but I would realize that this is the medium that I could use to just take my art into a different place. So again, hadn't intended to do it just sort of it sort of occurred that way. Again, it's really interesting to think about like in terms of just kind of switching up that that process. Um was there a lot like in terms of I mean obviously a lot of learning I'm sure, but I mean was that like back back background as like a printmaker is that something that you think is kind of aiding too in terms of just like the process of putting learning how to put these pieces together well just the studio like just the time i spent in the studio is is definitely something i learned at undergrad um so yeah i'm just you know i'm i'm spending time focusing on something and creating a result as opposed to having a result in mind and then figuring out the best way to make it i'm a guy who just has to spend a lot of time working on something and then it's more about yeah the, the time I spend on it and and the expressive quality that happens to what I'm working on. Um, in that sense, it's just like making prints in a print shop. These forms, uh, these vessels, these sculptural pieces. Again, it looks like I mean, there's something that you want to make sure that they are able to be like like stand up in certain positions, or is that something that also kind of was like a variable in terms of like how you'd work through these. And I guess just because it's hard to get an idea of scale, like, are these all kind of like hand size? Are they larger? Are they, do they vary a lot? So the photographs that, yeah, yeah, the, the smallest one, uh, the smallest pieces are probably around five inches high. So, um, you know, like a large grapefruit, the biggest pieces that I've been able to make lately are closer to two feet in height. And then they maybe like uh, 16 or 18 inches wide. So still like kind of on a tabletop or pedestal scale, but I would love to, you know, keep keep making them bigger and bigger but logistically it becomes um huge it's difficult to make big ceramics like that so um i've had a lot of obstacles it's like technical logistical obstacles to um move past and making the work and, and pushing the work forward you know i can't just buy a bigger canvas and make a bigger painting it's finding a bigger kiln figuring out ways to make the work to just to make the work literally to make it is it, i have had to figure that out too so yeah is this something then where you're like like drawing directly on on sides or printing you know like directly on sides like how how does the process uh work if you're going to just kind of break it down for someone what is the most fun for me about this this project is that um all of the mark making uh all of the patterning all of the everything on the surface is literally it's built in so it's different colors of clay that i've either stained with bright colors or left if it's black or gray, I'll just leave it its natural color. Um, those clays are combined together when it's wet, and then that pattern is created, and then it's either applied to the surface while the clay is wet, or sometimes um, the wall of the piece itself is a cross-section of a bigger block of clay that's been patterned. So all that information is literally built into the piece ahead of time. That seems like a logistical uh, thing that a printmaker could tackle, but maybe certainly not a painter. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's counterintuitive. Like you, you, you know, as an, um, a painter, you need the, the, the capability to, ex- to express something momentarily. You need to go from your mind to your hand, to your eye, you know, in a, in a, in a, as quickly as possible with the least amount of hindrance. That's what's beautiful about painting is the expressive, ideally what's expressive about you putting down what's in your mind. So I've 
sort of consciously chosen to make it the most difficult that I could possibly do. And, um, instead of, uh, instead of showing somebody the expressive quality of what's happening in my mind, I've chosen to then just spend all of this time laboring over what I want to make. And then the beauty or the, the validation of that object coming to existence is to me, it's slowly, um, that, that is developed and fleshed out as throughout the process, as the object is being made, the point of it is its existence is sort of, um, materialized as I work on it. So my statement isn't so much like, look, look what I just thought of. Here's my, you know, here's my mark. Here's my gesture. It's more of like, look what this gesture has been through. You know, I, I stand behind this. I've worked on this for a long time. I would imagine there's so much that you're learning while you're doing this this process. You know, you're making one piece or, you know, however many pieces at a time, you know, something works out and you're maybe kind of looking at it and going like, oh, I wonder, you know, if I could kind of do this. I mean, was there a lot of, you know, pieces kind of like leading to other pieces and relating and kind of giving you ideas as well? In one sense, it's it's almost easier because it's, it's more obvious if a piece is a success or a failure. Um, if literally, you know, something fails, it literally breaks, um, or it's, yeah, it's sort of obviously useless. Um, but you know, maybe if it was a 2d work or a painting or something more conceptual, it wouldn't be as obvious right away if it, which ways it worked and which ways it didn't. So in that sense, I've taken something that's a little bit more obvious, but, um, insofar as it's super obvious, if things are working or not working, I've been able to move through a body of work very quickly, which has been really rewarding for me, I think. So this is going to sound spacey and silly, but maybe oddly enough, like there's some pieces that remind me of like the movie interstellar. Um, I don't know, like there's these multiple sided surface looking things and it's just interesting. It reminds me of like topographical maps or like lunar surfaces or I don't know. I mean, are there any things like that that are kind of involved in it or is it just kind of purely aesthetic or. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen interstellar. It looks cool though. (laughs) Not specifically. I, I try. I'm trying to work as I'm trying to challenge myself. I'm trying to work as ambitiously as possible. I mean, a, a geometry has always been in, in the artwork. It's always something that sort of excited me visually. Uh, so it made sense to work geometrically in three dimensions. I think my my thing is I'm just interested in in terms of just the way that, that you're kind of seeing these in terms of like how. You know, like I know how I, you know, like a, a painting will like influence another painting or, you know, I'll be influenced by like kind of the things that I look at. So I'm just kind of curious what influences these works to, you know, have one that kind of gets pushed in a totally different way. But it sounds like a lot of that just comes through experimentation and kind of willingness to delve into it and and play. Well, what I was saying before, I was off on that tangent about undergrad and about mark making. I feel like the work for me, like the work has always just been about um, gesture and like mark making and, you know, drawing essentially. So I think the surfaces are kind of a way for me to experiment with the same ideas, the same sort of mark making process based work, but with a different, totally different material. But um, I'm learning how to use this material to make sort of the compositions and the marks and the designs and patterns and all that stuff, um, just within a set of parameters. So as the work progresses, I'm, I'm asserting more control over it. So, uh, in the beginning I was just really excited by the, the chaos of, of a marbled effect of the, of the clay, because it's, I thought it was beautiful and it looked natural, but it also was obviously man-made. So there was something inherently interesting in the, the play between those two elements 
but you know, as I got more comfortable and sort of figured, you know, literally, literally just figured stuff out, I was able to put more um, straight lines and more geometry and more structure on the surfaces. And I'm working through that now. So as as I develop that, then I can, you know, I can move past that. And at some point, I feel like there's going to be a harmony between me being able to do to, to um, build work that's expressive and shows mark making and exhibits like form and all of these things that I've always been trying to put into the work, but just with, you know, with this medium. So it's just about trying it and it's about experimentation essentially. And I, I feel lucky that I have something that I can, it's fun having a project. It's fun being able to figure something out. And right now I'm still right in the middle of figuring out how to do all this stuff. And it's, um, it's cool having a medium that I could sort of, um, you know, learn like learn and and it's there's still lots of room you know what i mean like there's so much there's so much area that I, that's uncovered that i could still so many ways it could go i guess so essentially my goal is to yeah just have a command i guess have a command of it and, I, and we didn't mention it but i have no background in ceramics um i guess it's obvious from my printmaking um you know undergrad but I'm learning. I'm just learning all of this stuff now. So that's what's fun about mm-hmm. it for me is, is just figuring it out. Just taking on a new process. You know, I love the way that it kind of, you know, will shake loose something or, you know what I mean? Kind of push something in a way just by having to kind of deal with that. You know, that's it occurs to me again. That's one of the things that's so fun about being an artist is that you're kind of much more keenly aware of things rather than just kind of a repetition of the same thing over, you know, like you talked about uh, getting in your car, drive, commuting to work, working, getting back in your car, commuting home, you know, like there, that kind of makes it surprising, exciting, you know, what, what can change, you know? Yeah. Some people can do one thing really, really well. Other people can do a whole bunch of different stuff pretty well. Um, I think I fall into the latter category. So this has all been amounting to uh, a show that you've coming up, if, if I'm not mistaken, is that correct? What's, what's the deal with that? Could you kind of, fill us in and, and give us some information about that. I'm showing some new ceramic work in Hudson at a gallery called Jeff Bailey gallery. The show is called slow cooker and, um, it opens on April 25th pretty soon. I'm still trying to finish all the work for that show right now. It's nice to know that other people are, <laughs> are, are last, you know, like working to the last minute too. It's, it, I think it's difficult cause you're always wanted to show like the newest, coolest thing that you're like excited about, you know? Oh yeah, of course you should. Um, and so how many, how many pieces, um, uh, should people expect to see? I mean, is it going to be similar work to the, to the stuff that's on, uh, again, your, your Tumblr site or, um, are there a lot of new surprises and things that people can expect? Well, like, it's all new work. So, um, hopefully it'll all be a surprise, but it's the same. I mean, it's, it's essentially, it, it sounds self-deprecating, but it's more, it's more of the same right now. It's, it's, um, yeah, I've got some large pieces uh, and some smaller pieces, but it's all stuff that I'm really excited about showing. I think it's just interesting work to see, like, especially like the aesthetic. You know, there's some pieces that are so colorful, some pieces that are so linear, some that are more patterned, some that kind of like remind you of like different, I don't know, like almost like geological kind of things or like lava flows. I don't know. Again, it's it's very interesting work. Is it is it something that we've been able to see these kind of like relating? Um, I mean, obviously, outside maybe outside of the studio and, and kind of like a, a group environment, do they kind of also kind of give you different ideas when you see them in that, that environment, when you can kind of see them, you know, starting to interact in a different way or, or you know, outside of that studio space? Yeah, things, uh, things always change as soon as you move them out of, uh, you know, out of the studio, out of the space you made them in. I mean, I, I get excited to see 
to see work. I mean, you know, how does your art look in people's homes? That's always like a funny question. And like, <laughs> what do people do with your work when they buy it, when they own it? Um, so that's, that's always been like a really entertaining thing to me, especially working as an art handler for a little while and like going into domestic situations and moving stuff art, like really either really huge expensive art or, you know, weird like children's art. But, um, it's obviously like the stuff that I'm making right now, it has, it's definitely going to have its own space and, and place when it ends up in someone's home. So that's like surely something that's, uh, like it, it's always inspiring to, to think about for sure. And I, I'm curious also, like if you, you know, while you're kind of trying to finish up all these new pieces, are you already thinking about new stuff or is that something that you'll give yourself a little bit of break, um, and kind of, you know, mull over, or are you always kind of thinking about new ideas, new ways to push things? It's, I feel like it's good to uh, reset every now and then. Um, I, th- I think it's better to work through projects or bodies of work without much self-reflection or being too introspective. But then um, when there's a natural pause, I feel like it's probably good to stop and reevaluate, not necessarily take a break, but at least just look back at what you've, you've done. And um, I think that's a good way to move the work forward, especially since with the ceramics, a lot of it is, um, it's building, it's really labor intensive. So it's not so much, um, of a mental activity. It involves a lot of preparation and then making. So that's kind of weird for me because normally those two things happen simultaneously. My studio practice, I'm thinking and creating and responding as I go. But however, with the, with the ceramics, it's the, it's kind of like think first and then just go build it. Um, I've found ways, like I said, when I'm getting more expressive with, the designs I'm putting on the surfaces, it's, it's more of a one-on-one. It's more of like a thinking and responding as I'm building. So that's cool. But, um, I'm doing another, uh, show. Um, there's a design fair called collective design fair that happens, um, during design week in New York. So I have to fill a solo booth full, you know, with more work. So I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't chill out. I can't get too introspective. Um, I need to just keep going. Uh, so, I'm lucky in that I have more projects on the horizon than I can sort of use as motivation, I guess. But yeah, at some point I just need to, I think maybe I'll work into the summer and then I'll go to Florida and just lay down on a beach. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds, it sounds like you'll have to, but um, again, it's, it's cool to to know that you're that busy and, you know, you got so many things that you can kind of keep working on. So again, uh, I just want to, again, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been interesting learning about your work. Cool, man. Thank you so much for listening. I know that I sort of uh, rambled on for some of those questions, so hopefully I didn't use up too much of your valuable ROM. Thanks once again to Cody for joining me. Please check out his website at CodyHoyt.com. And you can see his exhibition, which opens April 25th from 6 to 8 p.m. at Jeff Bailey Gallery in Hudson, New York. It's called Slow Cooker, so go check it out and see it in the flesh. And you can also see it at the Collective Design Fair with Patrick Parrish Gallery, and that runs May 13th through 17th. Attention artists, our 2015 competition is now open for all undergraduate graduate and professional artists to apply please visit our homepage and click on the 2015 competition for more information our juror this year is julia friedman the director of exchange works which is an organization that allows artists and the public to exchange art for resources so check it out at exchangeworks.co 
As always, three artists from each of those categories for a total of nine will be featured on Studio Break with interviews and their work. And we're also going to be working with the Peoria Art Guild, Jan Brandt Gallery, and Demo Project to feature an artist for a solo exhibition. Again, it's a very easy application. Check it out on studiobreak.com. Once again, the deadline is May 31st, so get your applications in. And one last big favor for us, please share this opportunity with any artists that you think would be interested in. If you're a teacher, please share this with your students and encourage them to apply. As always, if this is the first Studio Break interview you've heard, check out the other ones. Again, we've got a whole archive. You can go to the iTunes store, subscribe to the podcast, and go through all the episodes that way. Again, each of the episodes have images of the artist's work, links to their websites, and these interviews, so check them all out. If you're social media savvy, you can also follow our Facebook page and like it. You'll stay up to date with all the things going on with Studio Break. You can also follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr, and you can tweet us on Twitter at Studio Break, so please do that. It's a great way to hear from uh, listeners, so please say hello there. Thanks once again to Skylar Mail for providing the music to StudioBreak.com. You can check out his artwork, his music, all sorts of good stuff at SkylarMail.com. And if you're interested, you can check out my work. So please visit DavidLinaway.com to see some of my paintings and artwork as well. And lastly, before we get out of here, thanks so much for listening to Studio Break. We hope that you help get the word out about our 2015 competition, and we hope that we get a lot of new applicants, so please check it out, and thank you so much for that. We'll talk to you real soon.